little bit so that when there's a lot of burning, it doesn't burn everything down, right? And, and we're doing this, this, this series on the Holy Spirit because I believe like there's a lot of burning coming in all the right ways. And, I be, and I'm so hungry for God to move in ways we've never known it. I want more of it, not less of it, right? And I just felt like such an invitation from the Holy Spirit where He's like, hey, like if you go after me, I'll show you things as a community that you have not known before about his person, about who he is, about how he functions, about what he has done to our church. And we started last week and we kind of started with, if, you're, if you weren't here, I'm going to give you like a one minute overview. Please go listen to the podcast. We'll make sure that from this week on after every, on, on Wednesdays, we'll post that Tuesday's thing on the Holy Spirit. So just, you know, if you were here. So our goal is that, so last week, I spoke about the Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life. And this idea was on what we're going after is that we all have ideas about who is the Holy Spirit. But like what has the church throughout all of history primarily called him? And we saw that like this primary drive is that he is Lord and that he gives life. And how many of the things that we have called him, right? The things that we have primarily like ascribed to him is very cultural some of it is very much from the cultural background that you come from, the church background you come from. Some of us will be so convinced that He teaches you the Bible. Some of us are so convinced that He is the one that is called Comforter. Some of us are so convinced that He's the one that zaps you and you shake on the ground for four hours and that's what He does. Right? And all of those things are partially true. Right? But if those things become the primary lens at which we look to the third person of the Trinity, right, we always will have a diminutive view of Him. And then we spoke about how the Father is this one clouded with thick darkness nothing can come close to him in that way like except by the spirit but we'll get there one day and um, he is mighty no human eye has seen him and then we spoke about the son and how in revelation johnny's best friend fell as a dead man and then i said like if these are like two parts of the trinity and the trinity is in unity why do we think about the holy spirit as like this blob that's just floating around it's the same god three different persons he has the same glory honor to be worshipped than these other two parts and so the goal of last week is like hey let's just get the right perspective as we approach this like high mountain right that we're getting invited to that we're invited to more of god okay so i'm going to pause there anything else you want to know go back to last week so then um it worked out that way that then the first sunday that we're starting this series is pentecost sunday and so I was going to talk about the Spirit being like the giver of life. But then I was like, I just can't skip Pentecost. right? Like we can't talk about the Holy Spirit and skip Pentecost. Otherwise, we have to keep this series going for the whole like year and end it on Pentecost. right? But um, so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk about Pentecost and three of the four things that happened. right? There's four things that happened. Um, that's a promise from Genesis all the way to Pentecost and then Revelation until we are. I'm not going to talk about the fourth one because it has to be a sermon by itself. The fourth one is the spirit as the original missionary. Okay? And like, we will get there. All right? So, I want to talk about three specific things that happened in Pentecost. And the reason I want to talk about these three things is we need to understand like, Pentecost becomes a Sunday service. When it was like the most earth shattering confirmation of prophetic history that's ever happened right outside of jesus 
right? Overcoming sin in the grave. The fact that the Spirit came changed all of human history, right? And if we make that into whatever, again, our cultural bias is towards it, we will miss a lot of the power of what happened when the third person of the Trinity came and he possessed humanity, right? And so I want to quickly try and run us through this today. And again, to some of you, this might be extra nerdy. The Kona team, you're going to hear like part of Sunday again, but bless you. I love you. Um, you can double dip. It's okay. Um, but my heart is that you'll take some notes and I want you to think through this. I want you to think throughout your own life. I want you to think through how you thought about the Spirit coming. How do you think about like what happened on that day? Was it just like, oh, here he is. Hallelujah. Like there's a sound and it's a great service. And now we're all like screaming in tongues, hoping it happens again. Is that like the goal? Or do you think that's why he came? So we can remimic it, scream in tongues and say, do it again in us. Right? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm cool doing that. Like, I've done that. Right? But I don't think that's all he's going for. There's something else he's doing and that he has been doing and that he will be doing until Jesus returns. And, and, and if we can see it in the Word, we can, we can say, God, I want it. Can you show me what this means? Okay, so Genesis 1. Lord, help me, please. Amen. This is a lot. I'm about to, like, blaze through a lot. And I'm, I'm not going to give you all of the scriptures that talks about all of these things because we will literally be here for 10 hours. So let's just, if you need anything else, please let me know and I'll, I'll give you more notes on this. So Genesis 1. Here we see it. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now in the in that context, what was happening here is that it was is this picture of of chaos, dark, deep water. Now I don't know about you, but the scariest thing in the world for me is very dark, deep water. Like you don't know what's there, it pulls you down. It's really freaky. I don't know, right? Have you ever gone snorkeling or scuba diving? I know Edward has. He's told me about a story about a shark one day. You should ask Edward. He has crazy stories with diving. Right, and you sh swim over the edge, and you can feel the emptiness pull you. Have you ever felt that before? So I took Jeff Mathis, one of my really good friends. I don't know this. He's afraid of water. I don't know that before that. And we're in Kona, and we're snorkeling. And then he's probably told the story to so many people. And I thought, he loves snorkeling. You live in Kona. How can't you love snorkeling? All right? So we went snorkeling, and, um, and I keep going deeper. I'm from Poch. Right? We don't snorkel in Hawaii waters, right? Like when I get to snorkel in Hawaii, I'm going to snorkel, right? And, um, and so we go, and all of a sudden, like, you go over the edge of, like, um, the reef, and it's, like, the freakiest feeling in the freaking universe, right? I can't explain to you how weird that feels. You can literally feel, like, gravity or something changing, and it, like, feels like it sucks you down. It doesn't. It just feels like that. And all of a sudden, this big... I see like these little silver things. It's like, I wonder what's these little tiny silver things. Hmm. And they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And there's like 10 or 15 of these little thingies. And they're like in a circle. And they just keep getting bigger. And it was like a pot of dolphins. But they were like freaking tiny things that kept sweeping. Do you know how deep that was? Right? So we get. We, we, we get back to the, to the shore, 
And Jeff has a locked jaw because he bit so hard because he was so freaked out. Like you said, he struggled to eat for like a week after that because of how freaked out he was, right? So I want you to think, that's like Hawaii calm water. I want, think about the chaos of the deep before God said, let there be order. Right? So the spirit is hovering over the chaos of the deep. And then God speaks and he creates order and beauty. Right? And Genesis 1 then goes on and it explains how God progressively creates order and beauty. Right? Out of the chaos of the deep. And he creates everything we know. And then this God we know then makes us in his image and his likeness and he gives us one rule. Hey, don't eat from that tree. Right? You can do everything else. Just keep away from that tree. Now, we then sin. And in that moment of sinning, three things happened. Okay? You can write this down. First thing that happened is we were separated from God's presence. What happened with David, with, with Adam every night, in the cool of the night, God came to him and they hung out. Imagine like you have this habit, if you see like your windows like kind of moving, all of a sudden you know like after a long day, hey, Jesus is here, he's here to hang out with me. Right, that changed. Right, so they're put out of the garden, the garden is a sign of God's presence, they're putting out, put out of it. And they can never have that type of fellowship again. The second thing that happened is that they knew the knowledge of good and evil, right? Which means that they for themselves could decide what's right instead of having God dictate what's right. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm, I'm going to show you why that's a ginormously big deal. You need to understand that before Exodus, where the people received the law, nobody knew what's right and wrong. Everybody could do whatever they wanted. There was no law given. There was common morality. So people knew commonly what's good and bad. But there was no standard of reality. Just think about that. Nobody to tell you stealing is bad. Right? Just no, there's no centralized authority that could tell you this is bad. That's what happened. Is like in man, not just where they're separated from God's presence, but they're also separated from knowing what is right. Imagine the chaos that ensued. Not only am I separated from the person, but I'm also separated from what that person who made everything says is right. And then the third thing that happened is not just separated from the person, God's presence, right? His presence isn't the blob, it's his person. Not I'm just separated from his person. I'm not just separated from knowing what's right and wrong. Now, something has entered into me called sin. And I am, una I am unable, even if I would know what is right and wrong, to do it. So man is in trouble. Not just am I broken and separated. I'm so broken and separated that every single thing externally that I try to do to make it better makes it worse. Right? And I want to take a little bit of time today to show you how this presence, knowing what is right and wrong, and sin 
making us unable to do the right thing, got destroyed at Pentecost. Okay, so I want to read us a few verses, just so you know I'm not making these three things up. First thing I want to say is this, Genesis 6-5, it is the story of Noah, right? Now I want you to hear this, now the the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, listen to this, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, every desire, every movement of the human heart, the inclination was evil. It says in Romans that all have fallen short of God's glory. Right? It means that none of us, all of us, have a nature that is like bent towards sin. Now, people argue that you argue that with you until they have kids. The moment you have a child, you know that. So let me tell you a funny story. We're in Israel in the beginning of the year, right? My little Anastasia, my daughter, is the cutest little human being. My goodness, right? She is legitimately so cute, and she's kind. The other day, a little boy, like, shoved her over, like, shoved her, and I literally was like, you can be happy your dad's not here. I'll beat him up. Like, I'll just take it out on him. Like, just take it out on your dad, right? But anyway, (laughs) his mom was there, so I couldn't take it out on her. (laughs) So we're in Israel, and and little Anastasia is usually really good. If we say no, Nia, she actually listens. If you say too, too, like, too strict, she cries. She has actually a little, like, soft heart. And we're eating in this place in Bethlehem. And um, she's playing with a salt and pepper. And she starts putting it in her mouth. <laughs> it's like you, other people need to use it. Take it away. So Michelle takes it away. And she starts crying. And she takes it again. And Michelle tells her, Nia, like, no. Right? And she starts crying. Michelle takes it away. And she takes it again. Michelle says, Nia. And Michelle flicks her little finger. It's just the easy way. It doesn't hurt just to kind of know it's wrong. And she took Michelle's finger and she bit it. She went like, right? And I looked at that moment. I'm like, you tell me there's no sin nature. But she literally just bit her mom to tell her, do not tell me no. She was not even a year old. She was like 10 months old, right? And, and, and the, the explanation of understanding our hearts are bent towards evil is that. It's like God is coming telling you don't touch that and you're biting the hand telling you not to touch that. You're fighting against the hand that's trying to save your life. Blaming it for helping you. The inclination of the human heart is towards evil. It's rebellion against God. And so the story continues And God then comes and he chooses one man called Abraham. And you know, like, there was nothing good about Abraham. He was an idol worshiper. He wasn't a good man. God just picked him. I pick you. Right? Now, that should make all of us feel really good. Right? Abraham wasn't a righteous guy. He wasn't a good guy. God was righteous. God was good. And he picked the bad guy. Right? Now, anybody else in the room can relate to that. Right? If you can't, you should get saved. Right? But we all used to be like that. And God just picked us. He's like, I choose you. Why? Well, I'm good. You're not. I pick you. Right? And so then out of Abram, God then creates a nation called Israel. Right? But before they became a nation, they were slaves in Egypt for a few hundred years. 
and then God judges Egypt. He comes against them and then he liberates the people of Israel. And you need to understand that they're one ginormous freaking family. And they're not a nation. They're a family. They became a nation in one moment. When did they become a nation? They became a nation when they got a constitution. That's how you become a nation. You get a constitution. You get a commonly agreed upon set of laws. And then everybody says, yes, we submit under this. You're a nation. Now let me read you when they got their constitution. Go to Exodus 19. Wild piece of scripture. You're going to love it. So Exodus 19, here's this group of slaves that got set free. They saw God destroy all of Egypt. And it says this, on the first day of the third month, after the Israel, after, I'm going to read you a long piece of scripture now, so just follow me. After the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from that place, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourself have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. All through the whole earth, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders and the people and said um, before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord said. So you see what happens. Here God goes like, here's what I want from this great family. If you say yes, I will make you into something. So they all go like, yes. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speak with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people have then Moses told the Lord what the people have said, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, for they will wash their clothes and be ready on the third day. On the third day, isn't that funny? Because on that day the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. Put limits from the people around the mountain, tell them be careful not to approach the mountain or to touch it, the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. They are to be stoned and shot with arrows. Da, 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 da. Verse 14. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourself for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, listen, there were thunder and lightning with thick cloud over the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp, camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed out from it like smoke in a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended, uh, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of Mount now move on to the next piece of scripture. 
right? Then he give, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And for the first time in human history, after the fall, humankind has been given some measure of what is right and wrong. Before that, think about that. Nobody knew. And God said, I choose you. I give you my presence. And not just that. Here's what I'll do. I'll help you navigate the chaos of reality by giving you the law for you to know what is right and wrong. Guys, imagine nobody told you what's right and wrong and you just put your finger on a plug. There's consequences to wrong things. Doesn't matter how you think about it, right? Just imagine you jump off this, like get on the building, jump off, fall on your side. You might not die, but you'll be really hurt, <laughs> right? Why don't you do that? Because you know reality, right? Now the Israelites had no way to know reality. They lived in unreality. And then God gives them these 600 and something laws, right? And these laws are about how do you eat, how do you handle blood, how do you handle all these things. And some of them are laws that they didn't know would actually protect them from sickness, disease, all these different things. And God's like, you're my people. You said yes. Let me give you all these laws because they will help you to live in reality. Don't eat these type of foods. They will kill you. It's like God is genius. He chose them and he loved them. He goes like, hey, I love you. Now don't put your finger in the socket. And in his world, it might have been like, hey, like, if you poop, don't poop in the camp or where you drink water. You know, like, that's part of the laws. Who knows now it's a good idea not to, like, have feces where you drink water from. We all know that. Why? Because you get diarrhea and you die. But they didn't know that. You understand? There was no way they could have known that. Do, do you understand the power of this? They could not have known what would happen if you mix that into water. And God said, I love you so much. Please don't do that. He gave them a way to see reality. And what happens? They rebel against it the whole time. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. No, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And in Ezekiel, we see something happen. Ezekiel 16 Oh, 36, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I might be out of it. Sorry. Ezekiel 36, God prophesies through the prophet Ezekiel. And, he, and, and, and God sees that man, although the temple and all these sacrifices getting them closer to God, it's still not that God is present. He's in a temple. And he realizes I'm giving him all these laws, but their hearts are still in sin and they just become worse and worse. And now they're counting how many steps they take if it's work. And like there's all these foolish things that starts happening. God's like, that was not the goal. The goal was for you to be close to me and to know what is reality. Not to live in unreality. Do you know how Romans 1 say it? None is without excuse because God's invisible attributes have been made plain by the visible things that he has made. And then he says, people chose to darken their minds 
by exchanging the image of the immortal God for images of mortal things. Thus God has darkened their hearts and their minds. What does it say? And then it says, he gave them over to the very things that they decided to worship. And he says, hey, let's see how it looks if you make reality. 72 genders on Facebook now? Your version of reality. Let's see how it looks. Let's see how it works out. You know like the number one thing that's killed more people than anything else, more than any of the world wars, more than communism? It's STDs. HIV has killed more people than any of those things. More than atomic bombs, we should be afraid of sexual immorality. Because it kills more people. The God's like, you make reality? Let's see what happens. Death ensues. And we see the power that the human heart has, and I, I quickly want to read us a part of just Romans 7, 7. I know I'm jumping. It's going to make sense, I promise. Hopefully. <laughs> quickly go to Romans 7. <clears throat> now, Romans 7, verse 6, we see something happen. And Paul writes here, and he says, But now... By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So what Paul is talking about here, he says, hey, there is this Spirit thing that came. And He has liberated you from some external thing that was impossible for you to do. Right? The Word says that the law had no power to change the human heart. There's no power on the law. It's just something that was written. So God's like, hey, like we have to figure it out. So now go down. Verse 14 says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Soul as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. This is Paul here, not talking as a Christian. He's talking before he was saved, living under the law. He talks about his heart's posture. Now you guys would see in this how a lot of us live before we got born again. Right? Especially because most of us grew up in a Christian environment. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Now, quick question. Who can relate to that before you got saved? You grew up in church. You go like, what I hate, I do it. Why does that happen? All right? And he says, because sin took opportunity. It works in you. And it, it's not that the rules are bad. It's the fact that your heart has not been regenerated. Your nature is sin. You do what your father is doing. He's the king of sinners. He says you follow his ways, Romans 6. But when you get born again, you become a slave of righteousness. And you follow the spirit of righteousness. Okay? So let's go on, verse 16. If I do what I do not want to do, I do. I agree with what the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. Now this is confusing if you're trying to make it make sense while you're a Christian. This is not confusing at all if you grow up in a Christian environment and you're looking at this piece of scripture and go like, wow, this is life without the Spirit. 
you would see Romans 6 is packed with spirit language. Romans 7 till verse, um, beginning of verse 7, packed with spirit language. All of it has to do with the spirit. The spirit does this, the spirit does that. And then this whole next part from verse, um, from verse 13, or from verse 14 till the end of Romans 7. Paul does not mention the spirit once. He says, I do this, but I, then I can't. And then I want to do this, but I can't. And then, da, da. and he goes like, oh, the wretched man that I am. Who's going to come to my saving? He goes like, I know all these right things, but I can't do them. Who's going to help? And you go to Romans 8 verse 1. He says, Therefore, but at the end of 7, sorry, he says this. So then I myself, I am a slave to God. Da, 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 da. He says, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. And then he goes like, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen now. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life, has set you free. Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law, listen, was powerless to do, because it was awakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Listen now. And so he, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully made in us. Listen now. Who do not live according to the flesh, but what? According to the Spirit. Now what am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying that it seems like in the Old Testament, you all know about the temple. You all know about all this. God's presence was there. It was there. And, and God made all this effort to get close. But that was not the only effort that God made. And most of the time, we only get taught that God made an effort to come close to us. No, no, no. He also made an effort to give us reality. So he gave us the law. Here's right, here's wrong. And the whole Old Testament story is the story of God trying to get closer, teaching people what is right, but our wicked hearts biting the hand that tries to help us. The whole time, biting the hand, 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 biting the hand. And then Ezekiel 36, God kind of goes like, okay, this is enough. Let me just tell you what I'm going to do. And here's what the Lord says. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So God goes like, there's something in the human spirit that fights against my spirit. That fights against my laws. Your heart is hardened and it doesn't want to follow my ways. So here's what I do. It's not just enough that I give you my presence. It's not just enough that I give you the law. I need to give you my spirit. And when I give you my spirit, my spirit will move you to do the things that's right. So, Pentecost. Let's go to Acts 2. Everybody with me? You're all very quiet. Okay. I'm trying not to lose you and not to speak for 19 hours. So there's a whole other narrative that's around life that we'll speak around later. Okay, but I want to specifically talk about presence, the law, and our sinful natures. Or our ability to do the law. Okay, a different way to say it is God's presence, 
reality and my ability to live in reality. Acts 2. Let me maybe say this before I go to Acts 2. In 1 Kings 8, we read how Solomon, like, inaugurates the temple. And there's 120 priests that come and worship at the temple. What happens? He does it and fire falls on the temple. And none of them can keep on functioning. Right? So that whole section there is imagery that talks about God's presence coming. Fire falls on that building. Okay? So the fire comes. That's one image. The other image is the image of a loud sound, mountain shaking, and God giving the law. Two very important pictures. In the one, they're made into a nation. In the other one, God's presence is the sign of that nation being his chosen people. Does it make sense? Okay, so what did Moses say? Let your spirit, Exodus 37, let your spirit not leave with us. What will distinguish us from every, any other nation? So on the day of Pentecost, when that day came and the fire fell and all this stuff happened, all of us read that and we go like, what the heck is all that about? You need to understand this happened to Jewish people. They look back and they go like, oh, this happened here, this happened here, the prophetic words about this and this and that and that and that and that. And that. Right? They understood what was happening. Now, did they understand the magnitude of what was happening? Heck no. Nobody understood it. But they could see what God was building. So, Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Now, when the day of Pentecost has came, they were all together in one place. Now, what does Pentecost mean? What does Penta mean? 50. 50 after what? After? Come on, Bible people. 50 days after? Sorry? 50 days after what? Passover. Okay, what happened on Passover? What ha can somebody tell me what happened at Passover? Jesus got crucified. All right, this is, this is all Bible nerds. It's okay to answer, okay? Jesus got crucified on Passover because he was the lamb. Passover lamb, right? So that pushes back to the imagery of what book? Exodus, right? What happened in the books of, book of Exodus of Passover? The blood of a lamb was put over people so that what? The spirit of death would not visit them, right? So when Jesus died and rose again on Passover, he was having victory over what? The spirit of death. Right now, death will not touch us anymore and we will live forever. Hallelujah. Okay? So, 50 days after Passover was the day that Israel received the law. Jesus taught after his resurrection on the kingdom for 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven. He says, wait for the Spirit, the gift of my Father to come. And here in this moment, this major narrative of presence and what God does by bringing reality clashes into one moment. And look at the sound that happened on Sinai, the shaking of the mountain, the fire of the temple, and the priests that were gathered, 120. Look what happens in Acts 2. 
When the, Spirit, when the day of Pentecost has come and they're all together in one place, suddenly the sound like a blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what were tongues of fire that, that separated and came and rested on each of them. Each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and, became, and, and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them or gave them utterance. Now, this is wild. Now, some scholars say that piece when it says, and there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind, is referencing to Ezekiel when he had to prophesy to the four corners of the wind that the dead army would rise again. And the sound coming of a wind rushing into the room was God saying, that prof prophetic word is in right now. You are the prophesied nation from the ends of the earth. Okay, I'm going to show you. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls in this place. And tongues of fire falls. Not on a building, but what? On people. And that is God saying what? I'm not living in a building. I have now chosen to live in you. All of a sudden, this Ezekiel 37 army is from all across the earth. They will bring God's glory and goodness. All of a sudden, what happens? The wind comes and it blows and they start praying in tongues and people start hearing the greatness of God. It says from all the nations across the earth. That's what it says in that verse. It's kind of funny because it wasn't all the nations across the earth, but it was all the nations where Jews were represented. They heard the great deeds of God in their own languages. And God is saying, hey, I'm creating a new humanity. You need to understand, I'm doing a new thing. Where Israel could not honor my presence, I will now give it to you. Where Israel could not honor my law, I will now give you my spirit to write my law in you. And all of a sudden, this day what happens is God comes and He tells the, the people gathered in that room, the 120, you are the promise that I have given to my friend Moses, to my friend Isaiah, to my friend Ezekiel, to my friend Daniel. We can go on and on and on. But God gave us a spirit that isn't just so we can pray in tongues, no issue of tongues, zero issue of tongues, love tongues, praying tongues every single day. But we need to understand the gift was not the ability to pray in tongues. The gift was that God is present. And all of a sudden, He's not just present. Now, in 1 in, in, in Peter it says, you have been given the anointing and it teaches you all things. Now, all of a sudden, in Titus, like we spoke last week, says, grace will teach you how to say no to ungodliness. All of a sudden, you've been given a spirit, and what the law was powerless to do on the outside now possesses you. The very thing that could not change you, the law, knowing what's right and wrong, all of a sudden, God goes like, hey, let me help you out. I'm just going to give you the spirit of holiness. And I'm going to give you the third person in Trinity. And it's going to live in you. And the fruit of the Spirit is all these things. And it explains what it means. 
Now, we need to understand this. Let me quickly, and I've read this to some of you before, so you might know this. But I want you to understand what I'm talking about in a deeper way. And I know this is not a hype sermon. I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. I receive it. I want you to think quickly through what we can do without the Holy Spirit. Right? And I've read this a gazillion times, and I'm going to read it a gazillion times more. Right? Like, you need to understand that we were baptized into something when we got saved. That is other earthly. That is so different from anything that all of humanity has ever seen before. Nothing in humanity has seen people whose every inclination was not to bite the hand that feeds them. All of a sudden, my nature becomes a loving desire to yield to where that hand leads. Now I'm telling you, you can't fake that. Either God is in you or He's not. You can fake excitement in worship. You can't fake a yielded heart. Because only the Spirit gives a yielded heart. Do you know where a yielded heart comes from? From fellowship with somebody that's present. And if the Lord, who is the giver of life, is not present, you cannot live a life of victory. You will know what is right, and I do what I do not want to do, and I see the right thing to do, but I cannot do it. Why? Because the Spirit, who's the one that moves you to righteousness, has not taken possession on the inside. I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift God ever gave humanity. Jesus even says it. It's better that I will come, because one better is coming. What does that mean? It's because Jesus knew, I can touch you and heal you like this, but I cannot get in you and heal that heart a lot of times when I talk about what John the Baptist says about like the Holy Spirit baptism he says one will come who do what I'll baptize you in water and one who comes to baptize you in what the Holy Ghost and fire right you know like nobody gets a dove except Jesus there's no biblical precedent that anybody else gets a dove only one man gets a dove the rest of us gets fire Right, and here's why. Jesus was at peace with the Father. I need fire. I hope He doesn't give me a dove. You can get a dove if you want it, but I don't want to walk careful to offend the dove. Like, I will offend God because I know my own inner being. I know my own weakness. But do you know what happens if fire takes a hold of you? I dare you to shake it off. Shake fire. Do you know when you shake fire, what happens? It burns brighter. God knew the human heart is wicked and evil beyond comprehension. So he says, here's what I'll do. I'll give you my spirit and he'll be like fire. Do you know what fire does? It heats things up. It purifies them. If you put metal in a fire, do you know what happens? It becomes like the fire, although it's not fire. When the spirit burns on the inside and we're in fellowship because he's close, because His presence now lives on in the inside, and I yield to that fire, what happens is, I start looking like that burning. All of a sudden, things come out of me that in the past never came out of me. All of a sudden, things don't come out of me that used to come out of me all the time. Why? It's because this burning consumed everything because the book of Hebrews says, our God is a consuming fire. He consumes things. And the consuming you get by presence. And the presence is not a prayer room, although it's that as well. 
The presence is a lifelong love, affection with that king. Now, listen to just, I dare you to find something in the life of a Christian that you don't need the Spirit for. Because I'm going to read you in Paul's theology what he says you need the Spirit for. There's 34 scripture references here. Paul described the Spirit as a Christian's accompanying joy. Revelation comes through the Spirit, and Paul's preaching is accompanied by the power of the Spirit. Prophetic speech and speaking in tongues results directly from speaking by the Spirit. By the Spirit, the Romans put to death any sinful practices. Paul desires the Ephesians to be strengthened by means of God's Spirit. Believers served by the Spirit, loved by the Spirit, are sealed by the Spirit, and walk and live by the Spirit. Believers are saved through the washing of the Spirit whom God poured out on them. Then the Spirit searches all things, knows the mind of God, teaches the content of the gospel to believers, dwells among and within believers, accomplishes all things, gives life to those who believe. Christ from, out of, Christ from within our hearts leads us in the ways of God, bears witness of the own Spirit, has desires and an opposition to the flesh, helps us in our weakness, intercedes in our behalves, works together all things for our ultimate good, strengthens believers and are grieved by our sinfulness. Furthermore, listen to this, the fruit of the Spirit's indwelling are the very personal attributes of God. Now, I, can you just mention one thing in the Christian life that you go like, hey, I don't need the Holy Ghost for? Can you understand Ezekiel 36 when God says, I'll give you my Spirit and it will move you, it'll give you a new heart and it will move you to do my desire, to do my will. That was always like, bam, take it. And now like you can pray in tongues and I hope you make it. Good luck. No, 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 no. Bam, take it. You can pray in tongues and you're a force to be reckoned with because God has possessed you and internally there's a never-ending burning that represents the very nature and character of God that starts consuming every idolatrous thing that loves something except Jesus. Welcome, you're saved. Like that is normal. That is not radical, right? That is not like what happens when like you go on a 40-day fast. That's what happens when you simply get born again and you get the spirit of the living God. He starts warring against the flesh. You know, like it doesn't say I war against the flesh. It says the spirit wars against the flesh. You know, the flesh is not my earth suit. The flesh is every desire that's in opposition to God. That's why Pentecost was amazing. That's why Pentecost was so powerful. It's because God came and He said, all of humanity, you've messed it up. Again, let me help you. Do you remember last week? I'm not giving you a trinket of grace. Right? I'm giving you grace. Right? God didn't give us like a little millimeter of like a little tool. Here you go, Lizna. Here's some grace for you. No, God stepped into you, Lizna. And He said, I will lay hold of everything that opposes love. I will move your heart to love things you never thought you would love. Like you, Lizna, I will move, I will groan in you prayers you never knew you would pray. You don't even know what that means. Just yield to my love. Do you understand how dangerous this is? Do you know why this is dangerous and why I know it works? Right? Because persecution broke out in Jerusalem. 
you know what happened? They had no centralized leadership anymore. And they got scattered all over the earth. You know what happened? God didn't go like, uh-oh, now we're in trouble. He goes like, no, I gave them my spirit. Revival is about to break out. Wherever my spirit go, life follows. Right? And my people who carries my spirit went to Antioch. Revival broke out at Antioch. They went to Ephesus. Revival broke out in Ephesus. They went to Macedonia. Revival broke out in Macedonia. It wasn't great strategy. It wasn't missional zeal. It was the zeal of the Lord that accomplished this. It was His Spirit on the inside that leaked out and spilled love and kindness and meekness and raising the dead and casting out demons and prophesying and establishing churches. And, and fast forward a few hundred years, there's this guy in Ireland that used to be a slave and a voice when he was 12 years old tells him, Patrick, follow me. And Patrick follows the voice into the mist. And the voice leads him to a boat. And he gets free, the slave boy. Patrick, this little slave boy, then becomes a monk. And, he say, and the voice wakes him up one night and says, shows him Ireland. He says, Patrick, Ireland is calling you. Would you go back? So then Patrick, with a group of people, goes back to Ireland. The place that enslaved him when he was a young boy. He follows this voice. Now, Patrick then evangelizes pretty much all of Ireland. Like, there's accounts of 33 people he raised from the dead. Wild stories what he's done and then he builds these monasteries everywhere and for some reason the same voice tells Patrick hey do you know what you should do you should just copy the scriptures so all of these monasteries start copying scriptures they didn't know why do you know what happened the Vangals as a group of barbarians invaded Rome and they burned all of the literature and we get what we now call the dark ages and throughout all of Europe, these barbarians go and they destroy everything. And it says that Europe went from a golden age to a dark age. What happened in the dark age? All literature, everything written about the Bible was destroyed. Except there was this little island called Ireland that copied all these manuscripts. And then God re-evangelized the world by a group of missionaries from Ireland. Because the spirit that leads us is not intimidated by persecution. He goes like, hey, if you take their lives, their blood will call out an intercession for your salvation. Their blood will speak a better word the same way as the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. Like guys, we need to understand that the spirit we were given is dangerous. So dangerous, right? And the thing that the enemy does is he boxes the spirit into a subcategory and he categorizes you as a something and when you become the something you cannot be anything else and so what happens is then I again put a law around the spirit and the things that the spirit called me to do I cannot do and that which I know I should do I cannot do why because I said God you can only move like this and for some of us only move like this means you can only teach me the scriptures. For some of us, moving like this means like, you can only comfort me when I'm alone. <coughs> For some of us, it means you only give great worship services. 
For some of us, it means like it's fire tunnels. Let's pray in tongues, but you can only do that. But you need to realize that it is the Spirit of the living God that has taken possession on the inside. And He's not asking you permission for how He can manifest Himself. But He will not go where He's not wanted. You need to understand this. If you tell me, Gabriel, the only way I'll love you is if you look like this. Sometimes I'll just do my own thing anyway, but if I really care for you, I'll just come like how you want me. Imagine we can get a people in South Africa that says, God, come however you want. If you're asking me to copy the scriptures, write hundreds of partials that I have no idea why, I'll do it. Imagine Patrick said, hey, I want to be a more effective evangelist. Let's skip all this copying of the word. It's not cool to do this. Imagine he followed his own heart. Instead of the leading of the Spirit. You know, Christianity will not exist today. There's a book called How the Irish Saved Civilization. It's a legit book. It's phenomenal. It talks about this whole story. And what God has led them to do. And my call today, my, my call to action, ultra call, whatever you want to call it. Jack, you can come up. Is this simple? Is he Lord or not? Usually, when we have these nights, I always say, Holy Spirit, you can do whatever you want. I say this usually I'm into everything you're into. Do you know why I always say that? Because I need to remind myself that I'm not God. That the way I conduct services is not God's way. I'm just a human trying to discern what he's doing. That statement is saying, God, like whatever you want. If you're in the room tonight and you, you're like convicting hearts in the quiet when I want it. But if you're freaking coming like fire. And people are screaming on the ground for hours because the power and dunamis of God touched them. I'm in. Whatever you want. And I just feel tonight that like. God is inviting us to see the greatness of Pentecost because he created a new people. You are the new people. Guys, we are those new people. Ezekiel 37. That's us. Like we are it. Like that's why the scripture says prophets long to see the things you have. They looked but they could not know. That's why the end of Hebrew 12 it says the earth was what? Not worthy of them. They were sawn into all this stuff. And then at the end of that piece of scripture says, but they have not received the promise that you have received. We are the ones that God gave it to. We receive the spirit that cannot be defeated. The question is, do we believe it? And I say this all the time as a principle here. Romans 10. Faith, they did not know because they have not heard. They have not heard because it was not preached. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If you have never heard what God gave you through His Spirit, you cannot have faith to receive. And I believe tonight that some of you might have heard some things. You go like, man, I never knew this. I, I never knew God worked throughout all of history to give me something to overcome, to be unquenchable, to be unpersecutable. 
And I believe tonight that God is stirring faith in some of our hearts to believe that he fully is himself and let him be Lord. Guys, that's the, that's the beauty of Pentecost. Is that what was impossible for 6,000 years in one moment happened. One moment. The sound came. And God became present. And he wrote his law on his heart and gave us his spirit. So I want to give us opportunity tonight. We're going to just ask the Lord, Father, simple question. Is there any hindrance I've put on you? And this, this could be on the level of, again, freedom you've had. This can be on, like, what God has called you to do in your life, to do with destiny. This could be how he moves in the room. Some of you might not be charismatic at all and go, like, hey, what are you talking about? Like, hey, guys, the Bible has wild stories. Okay? Elisha, there's an axe head that floats. He prays for it and it floats. I don't make the rules. God does. But he can do whatever he wants. If he can come with tongues of fire and people seem like they're drunk, he can. why would somebody think you're drunk? There's a reason why they're doing it. And there's some of these strange things that some of us might go, like, I don't know about that. But I believe tonight God is saying, can you just say, God, I trust you. I choose you to be God. Would you mark me to have faith that the same spirit that was in the first century church, that church in the upper room will be in my own heart, would burn in me, would show me Jesus, would reveal his goodness to me. Don't let me settle for a cultural Holy Spirit. Let me settle for Holy Spirit. Let me settle for the third person in the Trinity. The gift that was promised by the Father. The one prophesied by John the Baptist. So Father, this, this evening together here, we ask in Jesus' name. Just show us any place, Lord. Anything that you have... have for us anything where we have hindered or quenched your spirit if that is in what we believe is possible if that is in going like I'll never understand the Bible no 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 the word says the anointing teaches us all things Jesus promised that he will teach you the content of this book Lord I ask that any hindrance we've put on your Holy Spirit because of bad experiences or misunderstandings. Lord, we just want to lay them at your feet. Any place where we have leaders have made you smaller or only look like one specific thing. God, show us what does it mean that you are Lord. Teach us what Lordship looks like. you're in the room here and you feel specifically that the Lord is speaking to you around faith to be able to say no I feel that so strongly tonight right that Romans 7 is kind of your story but you know it's not supposed to be if you feel like really in the room like man God like 
I want to live a life in the Spirit that I can follow the law of the Spirit. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with like, yes, no, maybe, yes, no, maybe. If that's you, can I ask you to stand up? I'm not, we're just gonna, I just want us to pray for you. If you just stand up. Don't be afraid of people. Honestly, it doesn't matter. Like just, there's an opportunity for you to just live a life and greater victory and freedom tonight. And it's a simple acknowledgement to say, God, I want that. I just, I want that. I want to believe that deeper. So just open your hands in front of you, right? And I want just in your own words, just say, Holy Spirit, just, can you put to death the Roman sevens, man? Just put, put that man to death, Lord. I want to live by the Spirit. In your own words, just pray it. Just, I want to give you a few seconds. Just do business with the Lord. Just do business with Him. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you. Thank you that you're in this room right now. We honor you. We honor you, Holy Spirit. where you are that I want you to tell him I trust you I trust you Holy Spirit so I trust you I trust you I put all my confidence in you that is the great war the war against the flesh and the spirit is where is our confidence Holy Spirit we put it in you all of our faith is in you your ability to move us to do the right thing Father, I pray for every person standing right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would you would change taste buds. You would change appetites. You would change even the neural pathways of repeated addictive behavior, repeated thoughts of self-harm, repeated thoughts of condemnation. I can't break out of this thing, God. We ask that you would do by your spirit a miraculous work, Lord, to realign people with your truth. You are the spirit of truth. Lord, I ask that you would come close. As they're standing here, they'll feel nearness of you. You're not far away. But as they're confessing, the weight of your presence will come upon them. Come, Holy Spirit. As they'll feel love and affection. That from this place, God, you would break off everything that opposes love. That this is nothing, nothing if it's not from love. That you would meet them in love.